Hey, welcome to the Mostly Skateboarding Podcast. I'm your host, Temple Tonelli, and I'm joined this week by Maddie Hazlett and Patrick Kigongo to talk about The Killing Floor's Fortune Cookie with Andrew Gray. Fortune Cookie is the latest video offering from The Killing Floor Skateboards, showcasing the team in two locales, Buenos Aires, Argentina, and mostly the Pacific Northwest. Andrew is pro for The Killing Floor and moved from Portland to Argentina, which I'm guessing is how the concept for this video came about. Is that right, Andrew? Yeah, I actually am from Arizona, and moved out to Portland, which is where I met all of the guys in the video, and I started skating for the killing floor, and I did a lot of my skating there. And I moved back to Arizona, and then I went to Argentina. But the connection between Argentina and the U.S. is definitely feels like it's more with Portland than any other city. I went out last year to visit my friends and skate for about a month, invited them all. I got them stoked on Argentina. It was right when, you know, pandemic travel sanctions were opening up again and uh it seemed like it was going to be the first big trip where we could sort of reunite and that is how this video happened hola andrew que tal hola Uh, that's about the extent of my spanish (laughs) (laughs) but um so tell us about the shift from arizona to portland and then Portland to Buenos Aires. And more specifically, something that we want to know is that a lot of us who are fans with Thrasher Magazine know that the Vitellos are of Argentine descent and that there's a strong bond between Buenos Aires and the Argentine skate scene as a whole and the folks at Thrasher. But what's it like on the ground and how are you adjusting to life as a porteño? So the transition was interesting because I never planned on living here. My initial plan was to travel Uh, until the point where I could speak Spanish fluently and also at the same time get certified as an English teacher. So that was my goal. During that process, the pandemic began. So I kind of, I wouldn't say got stuck out here, but I was faced with a choice, stay here or go back home on a repatriation. You say that right? On a repatriation flight. (laughs) Is that right? I think so. Yeah. So it was kind of a go back home for I don't know how long because of the uncertainty of that period of time or stay here in Argentina and stick it out. I was already working as an English teacher and able to pay rent and sort of sustain myself. So I decided to stay here and stick it out. As far as the transition goes, learning Spanish was definitely the biggest obstacle that took me about a year to feel comfortable. Um, Of course, I was already skating with people and making connections, nonverbal connections through skateboarding. And the people here are so open and so nice that it was a lot easier to make friends in Argentina than maybe would have experienced in other places. As far as the other part of the question about, was it more about Thrasher or about the skate scene? Sorry. More about the skate scene, about the day-to-day. Um, you know, this is kind of, a, I'm thinking about a, a bigger question. Um, so my family's from Uganda And you've probably seen some of the footage that's come out on Instagram and it's popped up in other places about the skate scene at the Mukono Skate Park. Now, the first time I went to Uganda was 31 years ago. This is 1992. It's right after the war. And I felt like I was on another planet. There's no skateboarding, no skate culture, no nothing over there. Right. And, you know, we live in a world that's significantly smaller, but you still have places that are unique. So, like, what's the day-to-day like for you there? And, and like, what's the scene? What's what's the vibe? Because here's the other thing. Buenos Aires is not a tiny city. Like, the metro area is massive. I think it's something like 15 million people. Yeah, Buenos Aires is gigantic. It's huge. Although, living inside of the, the section that's called Capital Federal, like, the, the capital area, feels small because it's so well-connected. But then when I go outside of that city limit it's gigantic um, coming from phoenix arizona and then portland is definitely new for me as far as the i guess the skate dna i think that argentina has a really long lineage of skateboarders not just with the vitellos but uh, there's old skate parks and bowls and mystical spots that people are always talking about there's the martinez family uh, milton martinez his brother which is a good friend of mine um S. martinez also a ripper, if you if you guys have seen his footage. His dad is a skater, pro skater from the 80s, and he still skates today. So, sorry to digress, but there's there's definitely like um, a long line of good skaters, videos, magazines, music, punk music involved with skating. And I feel like that's something you definitely feel. Like it doesn't feel like such a huge jump going from California or a skate scene that we're familiar with to a skate park in Argentina. People know what's up. You mentioned that kind of getting acclimated in the scene and wasn't too bad and how the locals were uh, actually very friendly and welcoming all while 
maybe not having the most fluent Spanish at first. Um, what were your first experiences like when kind of trying to settle in and meet folks in the community? I know every major city kind of has a different vibe and it sounds like this one was very positive for you. So I'm just interested in kind of like how that process went. Is it very organic? Did you just see them? Is there kind of like a skate mecca that you guys all go to where you can kind of meet different folks? Is it at a skate park? Is there some type of spot? Kind of just like, what was that process when you first kind of got there and started to assimilate with the community? Yeah, there is a spot. There's an old plaza, which is would be similar to Pulaski here, and it's called the Plaza Jose. So that was like a the plaza center of downtown. It had a bunch of ledges and stairs and everything. But they took that out about three years before I moved here, and they put in a skate park. So I think the skate park kind of serves that function, but it's not the same. I'm not from a plaza city, but it, it doesn't feel like it's the same vibe exactly. When I first got here, that was the first place I tried out. I went there by myself and I was super nervous. I'm a I'm a pretty shy person, so I wasn't talking to the locals or anything like that. I was just going to skate and like move my body around for a little bit. The first connections I made with people and then skaters were actually a lot more organic and they weren't they didn't happen while skateboarding. I just recognized the guy that I was like, that's a skater. I was at a an art show or like a photo exhibition. And I was like, that's a skater. And I just like went for it. Maybe had drank a beer or two and said, okay, I'm going to try some Spanish out and see if I can get somewhere. And that was became one of my best friends, Kevin. He gave me his phone number, phone number of a couple of guys that he skates with frequently. And from there, they would just hit me up on the weekends to join in on sessions. And I think I felt more comfortable in the street at a spot with two or three people rather than at a skate park at like a big sort of hectic plaza environment. But yeah, that happened about two or three months in. And from there, it was it was smooth sailing. I learned how to speak Spanish with those guys and girls and just felt myself sort of, it, it wasn't like night and day, but just slowly became a part of the scene, slowly became fluent. And then I felt comfortable. So as you're acclimating to life in Argentina and also during the pandemic and living through historically very, very strange times, yeah. How are you staying connected to what was happening back home? Uh, or uh, allow me to rephrase. How are you staying connected to things that were happening back in Portland, back in Arizona? And how are you maintaining those connections? Like, what is like, what is that like? I mean, obviously, here we are. We're on Skype. We're recording this, recording this podcast together. Technology has allowed us to keep together. But what about stuff like boxes, boards, um, and just like kind of keeping up with even something as simple as like neighborhood gossip? Yeah. You made me think of the pandemic time, of course, going back to that. That was a nightmare, paying attention to what was happening in Portland and not being able to be there, not being able to like join my friends on the street, for example. So that was rough. At some point, I just had to turn it off. I'm sure you guys experienced something similar. But now I try to do a better job of paying attention to what's happening, not just in skating, but uh, what my friends are up to, who's getting married, who's traveling, who moved. I try my best. I'm not... I'm not always on top of it, but uh, in this day and age, it's a bit easier. Uh, product in boxes is a is a tricky one. Argentina is very particular for that. Uh, how to explain this? The the aduana, which is customs, is closed off in Argentina in a way that a lot of other countries in Latin America and around the world aren't, with the goal of strengthening the local economy and strengthening the industry. So all of the boards that people skate here, almost all of them are produced nationally within the country, which is great. Uh, I agree with that like on a political level, on an economic level, but it is difficult if you're a skater and you want to get a new set of Formula 4s and you have to wait for someone to bring them in a suitcase or just really any, like you don't see Polar Big Boys out here. We missed that whole wave. Um, I don't see FA boards or any of that stuff that has been trending. When I went back to the States last year, it had been like three or four years and I was blown away at the product. I was like, whoa. I guess I was just always used to this level of the best product at every skate shop, at every skate park in Argentina. It's definitely not like that due to the situation with customs. Oh, you've just given us a, a little window into some of the economic challenges that Argentina has been having since forever. On a slightly <laughs> more uh, positive note, like what's popping in terms of like what brands which are either local or international are popping down there? Uh, like what are the fits looking like? And you know, you're now several years deep in it and you're in a you're in a cool ass city, Houseman Boulevards and all like what are the things that are getting you excited that people are wearing and what are doing before we kind of dive into some of the spots? Because I think we all want to talk about certain spots that were in hmm. the, the the B.A. edit of the Killing Floor video. The banks. Yeah. 
I would describe the style down here as very fresh and and clean. So there's a lot of post-punk kids, and then there's a lot of like uh, New York polo. What are they called? Low heads? Is that yes, low lives. Low lives. Yeah, that's heavy down here. There's a bunch of resellers. Several good friends of mine have their own like vintage resale shops, and they can get really nice stuff from just across the border in Chile or Bolivia, pretty cheap. Bring it over here. Because of this whole situation with customs, they can sell it for 10 times more. And there's demand. So I would say well-curated vintage would define how people are dressing. Oh you would goodness. love it, Patrick. If I Shout, you know, shout out yeah. to the low lives. Shout out, to, shout out to the soldiers out there crossing the border, bringing back product. Oh, my goodness. Check out sold, sold Out Buenos Aires, which um, is actually the same guy in the filmer of Delivery Buenos Aires, my friend Tommy. That's his vintage polo, Ralph Lauren, Nautica resale shop. And then on the on the other side of the coin, he's a really amazing skate filmer. So those guys are uh, dressed to impress. You'll like it. Oh my goodness, I'm I, I'm looking at this right now, and the first <laughs> thing like in the top in the top <laughs> the top nine, I see like old polo sweatshirt, some polo overalls, just like the the horse lo- the jockey logo. Oh, this is okay. Uh, y'all gonna get a big boost from us, and I gotta get down there. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll do an exchange. Sure. I'll come down with like uh, a bunch of Spitfires, so y'all can hook it up. <laughs> y'all oh. can hook up with Polo. We'll do a little exchange. You come down with a suitcase full of Formula Fours, and you are golden in Buenos Aires for two or three months. Oh, you don't okay. have to pay for anything. <laughs> oh, for real? Okay, all right. That, that's good. that's currency. <laughs> that's currency down here. Formula Fours worth more than the dollar. That, that's like the number. Oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they oh. are good wheels. Yeah, and they're hard to come by. So. <laughs> Jim, you need to like uh, license the formula or something. Yeah, Jim T, I, I hope you're listening. I know you're listening. Look up the homies down in Argentina. But you you raise a really interesting point about um, that challenge with customs that, you know, once you leave the United States, it's really dependent on how the country that you're in deals with international trade and more specifically like around import and export. So kind of like also kind of like zooming out a little bit. Um, as you know, I'm a big football fan. I had my heart broken by Lionel Messi and the boys. So I'm going to rip the bandaid off and ask you, where were you when Argentina won the World Cup? Yeah, I was waiting for this question, and I don't want to disappoint you, but I was not in Argentina. We missed out on it. I was on my honeymoon in Brazil, so close enough, but not in a major city, at just a random bus stop out in the countryside, and we watched it with a bunch of uh, Brazilian long-distance bus drivers who were obviously rooting for Argentina because Brazil had recently lost to, what was it, Holland? Yeah. I think. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah. So we were doing our best to pay attention to it, but we were the only two like really going crazy. And I'm not a huge football fan. I don't pay a lot of attention, but just feeling the weight of that situation and how tense that game was, it was definitely like a shared even though we were far away from Buenos Aires, we like felt the the community. <laughs> I know folks are still eating off of the uh the victory and the joy. Certainly my friends who are down there and then friends here in the US who are of Argentine descent. Kind of like zooming back to the video, you got to tell us about some of these spots. Uh, more specifically, there's a black or like a dark colored marble curved ledge that goes up to a green transitioned wall. Where is that and why does Buenos Aires have so many good spots like that? Also that bank uh, that bank to curb spot too. Yeah, yeah. Those two spots are incredible. Uh, they shouldn't exist. They're, but they're both very hard to skate. So I'm just going to put out there the, the ground is hard at each one. But I'll start with the curved ledge one. That is like a series of metal curved sculptures. So you could see in the video, James Albee does like a Wally one foot and there's a bunch of different formations. The curved ledge is the best to skate, I think. And the quarter pipe is incredible, but it's the wall of an apartment where a bunch of elderly folk live. So usually when I go there with people, I tell them like, let's not do that. If you want to carve it, let's do one or two before we leave and then get out of here because it's a bummer to, to bother them and you get kicked out instantly. Uh, luckily, you can skate the ledges, which are far enough away from the apartment and not bother anybody. But funnily enough, as amazing as that spot looks on film, it's not really been heavily skated until recently. And it's always just been there, like little sidewalk public plaza. Um, so it doesn't have a name or anything like that. The other spot is called the Aduana, which is customs, ironically enough, in this conversation. We skate all day on the the backside of the customs office that will detain our product if if a sponsor sends it to us. Kind of going off of the 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 spots there, I had one 
thought when I was watching the video is how do you guys like interact with the non-skate community at these spots? Like you kind of mentioned it with the apartment complex that you try to be respectful and get your one and done and kind of get out of there. Do you guys have like heavy kick spots? Do locals get bummed? Do you have like the random non-police coming up and kicking you out? Like do the police get bummed? Like what's kind of that like and is it similar to kind of what you experienced here in the States? It's a lot more relaxed. It's a lot more easygoing, not just with the cops, but with like civilians, non-skater people. I would say most of the time they're stoked on what you're doing. And if they have a complaint, it's a genuine complaint like, hey, you're making a lot of noise. I live right here. Come back when I'm not here. But I haven't experienced the same level of aggression that we would experience in the States or even other countries like um, in Mexico. Mexico City was pretty difficult interaction wise. Uh, Buenos Aires is super relaxed. Most of Argentina, in my experience, has felt super relaxed. Even up to the point of negotiating with cops, like, hey, can we get a half hour more? Can we come back in an hour? And they usually don't care. They're usually just responding to a business owner who complained or something like that. So I've never really had a huge problem. Damn, 30 minutes more. That's that's like so much more. It's not like one more try or something. That's... Uh quite a big ask i would think huge ask that's like that's not just getting the make that's also getting a second angle and maybe a one more one more cleaner <laughs> yeah it depends on the trick 30 minutes might not be that much if if you're working on something uh really time consuming but yeah they're they're asks that i wouldn't have made in the states and i've kind of gotten used to watching how the locals move here and just realizing that it's a lot more relaxed in every imaginable way i mean you'll get your pissed off civilian every now and again but it's a lot fewer and far between do you think that changes like the overall culture that you guys are experiencing because i know here like a lot of times when you're going out filming you get into this like mission almost mindset where it's like all right we're gonna hit this spot we probably got 10 minutes like i've practiced this exact trick at the park for three hours like hopefully i get it in 10 tries do you think that it's kind of created a different like outlook when you guys go out and film there like is it more like whimsical and kind of just like wandering through the city upon things instead of like really having a lot of direction or do you guys still think that skateboarders there still are kind of on this like mission let's go get it knock it out kind of mindset no we we go on missions but it's more relaxed like go try this spot we're gonna get kicked out go around the block we'll come back they're not gonna call the cops like it's a bit more flexible in that sense there's a mission mindset but it's not so i'm not seeing people focusing boards screaming at anybody it's just like, oh, well, didn't get it. Come back tomorrow. Come back in an hour. One notable experience was with delivery, like distracting a security guard because there's two spots on the side of this tower and we would go skate the other spot and security would come talk to us and we'd make small talk with him for 10 minutes until he'd hear the sound of the, the skating that's going down on the other side where they were trying to film a trick. And that worked. We did that about three times until the guy landed the trick. And at the end of the day, it was like the security guard was like, okay, well, you won the game. See you guys, you know? <laughs> That's awesome. This is like a, a, I don't know, something I always wonder about when people make videos. Uh, why, why would, why use the VX? Yeah, I think I'm just used to it. I come from that era of, like, I started watching videos in 2003 or 2004. So sight unseen, bag of suck. Uh, those were my first notable videos, and I just always dreamed of having a VX. My first shop sponsor had a VX that we could take out on the weekends, and I learned how to use it at the skate park first, and basically learned how to use a VX MK1 setup before ever being able to buy myself a camera. So I was just really fascinated by it. I like how it sounds. I like how it looks with that lens. And if you know how to set the colors right and export it right and do all that, the quality really doesn't bother me. I'm stealing this point from another person who said this in another interview, but I really like the way 4.3 looks because the skater is taking up the middle of the frame if you're filming 4.3 fisheye and you don't have all this extra information on the periphery so i think that's really suited to like filming lines and showing the textures of a city a bit more that being said i think about having an hd camera all the time i would love to if i could i could buy myself one but for now i'm happy with the vx i'm not complaining yeah i think the four thirds ratio that you brought up is is huge with the vx you're right it makes it seem like a lot more exciting. I think it makes you feel like feel a lot faster. There's this like edge of surprise because you don't see what's coming as quickly. And I think that's cool that that's something that you're really attracted to. And I know we talked about 
in a few episodes ago, and I think it actually got brought up afterwards that the Magenta video was shot in four thirds, but it was filmed on an HD camera. And I know there's some local folks in my area that do the same thing. Is that something you'd ever consider if you went to HD? Would you still do the whole lens spacer crop to four thirds? Do you think that's something that's cool? Or do you think it's kind of something that's still unique to just the VX? I think it's cool. I don't know if I'd do it because when I watched that Magenta video, I remember feeling like this is cool, but it's not a VX. <laughs> That's like maybe really purist, but you can. Have you guys seen the wooden mic uh, microphone that you can yeah, put totally. on? Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah, the like the fake VX mic for HD. Yeah, so yeah. I've joked about this with some friends, but in a couple of years when no VXs are working anymore, you're going to have a wooden mic, fake VX. You're going to have a tapeless recorder. You're going to have like an MK1 suited to put on the front of a DSLR. And basically just have like this cyborg Terminator VX look, but all digital or not, not digital, sorry, all filming onto an SD card or something like that. But I think skaters will always find a way to, to seek out that look and feel. And I think the sound is a huge component that we, we forget sometimes for the me, for me, it's a sound HD doesn't have that same pop and grind feeling of a VX. Yeah, it is kind of a different sound. I've been wondering if the iPhone mic is going to, be that for some people because you know so many people film with their phones that you know you grew up watching these vx videos and other people are going to grow up watching shit on instagram so they're going to be like yeah iphone 6 is like the fucking (laughs) ultimate skate camera or something totally that's that's absolutely going to happen i can see that and i i recognize sometimes when i am watching a vx video and it's not set 100% 100% perfect pro even my own clips that I film of people I'm like man why am I still filming on this camera you get the white balance like just a little bit off and it's almost unwatchable so I think there is definitely a neat, an adherence to the camera that's a bit illogical and I would like to try out other mediums for sure but going back to what Maddie asked I think um if I in the in the case of going HD I would just go full HD just to after 15 years of making parts and filming skate videos or being a part of videos, like just to see something completely different rather than trying to carry over the same aesthetic to a different camera. So <laughs> continuing on the thread of existing technology versus legacy technology, for Argentina, what's the standard? What are you all using? Are you shooting? You shot parts of this in VX. What else is the standard out there? Yeah, I actually I filmed this video on a VX2100, which isn't... The ideal, I guess, if you're a VX purist, the ideal is a VX1000 with an MK1. I've got a VX2000 with an MK1, and that's the setup that Tommy from Delivery uses. So when, basically when I saw the camera at a really good price on Facebook Marketplace, I said, that's the same camera that he films on if I need to get a second angle or help out with projects in the future, because I was already on the session kind of, you know, messing around with, with inserts and stuff like that. This will be a lot more convenient for us. And uh, I think just out of coincidence, we're both on like the VX2 and VX21. As far as HD goes, the HD filmers are pretty much people who are working with companies, like doing commercials or spots for what are the brands out here, like Vans Argentina, uh, Etnies has a program down here, uh, Fallen. All those projects are like the HD filmers who are working on like a contract basis. But I would say all of the crew independent filmmakers are on a vx1 or a vx2 interesting and are you repairing them yourselves or are you taking them to shops a lot of the kids out here have the tapeless recorder so they they really have no need because the main thing that breaks is the tape deck we're on the vx2 because the tape decks are a lot more durable it's a newer camera that's another reason too you know but as far as a technician out here i don't know it hasn't knock on wood it hasn't happened yet i don't know what we would do in that situation can't send it to carry Video Electronics in Boston from Buenos Aires, Argentina. Shout out to Kerry. Shout out Kerry. He's fixed my VX1 several times back when I was in the States. Yeah, he fixed my TRV900. I can imagine you guys too. had a you had an order form with Kerry before at Templeton. <laughs> yeah, it's hard, hard to believe, but he's he's been at it for a long time. <laughs> Speaking of filming, how long... Like, you went on some a trip to, to Portland, and then the crew came down to Argentina for a while... How long were those trips? And then were you guys also filming outside of those trips? Yeah. So my trip to Portland was about a month, maybe five weeks. And the idea was never to 
it wasn't a filming trip to make a video. It was just gonna go out to port or yeah, gonna go out to Portland and skate and visit old friends. My friend Seth Hop, who filmed our last Killing Floor video, Aquarius, he filmed and I edited. He surprise visited me in Portland, and right off the bat, he's like, "I want to film. I haven't seen you in four years, so let's go skate." And we started getting clips based off that spark. We had in about two weeks, we had you know two or three minutes of myself of James Alby. And so that was sort of a building block. Based on that, I, you know, started bugging everybody to come visit me in Argentina, sending a million photos of the bank spot we talked about earlier, just to try to like seduce them. <laughs> Look, it's got a slappy. It's got a taller ledge. It's got an even taller ledge. It's irresistible. And so they ended up a year later coming out or less than a year later coming out to visit me. That trip was actually pretty short. James and Noah were here for two weeks. Josh Love was here for less than a week, and Kyle Nikoshi was here for six weeks. So that was the extent of that. And obviously, I, I live here, so I have a bit more footage than them in the Buenos Aires section because I got my friends to film me and told them about the project, and I was able to to wrangle some more tricks into the video through that process. So do you anticipate, Andrew, that at any time that Buenos Aires might, um, or the scene might react the way that, say, Barcelona did about 15 years ago, where they're just like, stop coming here, locals only, where there'll be some frustration of people just pulling up, filming, not interacting with the locals, not actually paying attention to uh, local standards or local cues and things like that? Um, or do you feel like Buenos Aires is big enough for everybody to come through? Because I would love to make a visit, because it just, it, it looks amazing. I have a friend who went back in 2000. Uh, 2005 and had the best time ever. Yeah, I don't see that happening here, honestly. I think, you know, you got to be respectful and connect with the locals and say what's up when you go to the skate park or the plaza. But it's not, I went to Barcelona last year after the Portland trip and I can see why that happened there. There's just so many skateboarders. There's so much concentration of skate culture in a city that's much smaller. Whereas in Buenos Aires, if someone comes to town, it's like, yeah, let's go connect like where are they skating let's go i've never really heard i don't know if is that gatekeeping would that be gatekeeping i don't know is it is it is it gatekeeping to is it gatekeeping or are you checking people i mean yeah yeah i get what you're saying checking i, I think checking might happen if you're out of pocket but you got to be out of pocket if you're just here on a skate trip trying to get clips i think all of the people i know and, and the locals are going to invite you show you where the spots are um, it's a completely different vibe. Even going back to Portland, where friends of mine were like protecting spots or like maybe wanting to have a session more closed off, smaller, smaller session, less people. That's something I don't really see happening here. So yeah, definitively, I, I don't see the the Barcelona effect happening in Buenos Aires. So Maddie, I mean, you are one of the serious for real, for real locals at Pulaski. Um, I know the vibe there has changed a little bit over years, but do you think that... Um, do you see something similar happening? I know folks in D.C. are really, really tight if you pull up to Pulaski and start waxing everything. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think that it's kind of like that, but I think some of that's also maybe not as intense as it is the mythos behind it. Everyone there is pretty nice and generally pretty welcoming. Yeah, same kind of like what Andrew said. As long as you say hi, we have people come through all the time. I feel like it's become with the with the loss of a lot of other skate plazas, it's become quite the destination for a lot of folks and never have any major issues. I think that there's this this uh, this large gesture behind it that it's big and scary. And I mean, you were just there, Patrick. It's it's not that scary. And it sounds like that's also kind of what Argentina is like, which is, which is nice to hear. And kind of in that vein, we've been talking about how great the culture is there. And you mentioned earlier, Andrew, um, a little bit about the independent filmers there and how kind of is that scene is do you guys have like a big flourishing group of younger folks who make their own independent videos and host premieres and things like that that's such a major part of skate culture here in the United States and kind of like a big stepping stone to kind of do more in the industry a lot of folks will come through their local filmer who kind of helps put them on a, the map a little bit is that kind of how the system also works down there is it kind of based around getting with your friends, filming second clips and moving forward? Or is it any different than what you experienced when you lived here? Yeah, great, great question, for sure. I have to shout out Tommy again and all the guys at Delivery Buenos Aires because they're really keeping the fire lit. 
not just with their own projects, but helping out when people come to town. And I think getting a lot of other different groups of kids stoked to make videos. So check them out. They're, they put out several projects every year that are really, really good and show the city for all of its glory. But at the same time, I feel a generational shift with Instagram kids and skate park kids. And I totally get it. There's no judgment at all. But I think there is a loss of that. What we grew up with, which is hop on the bus or hop in the car and go to as many spots as you can in a weekend and try to film clips and kill yourself before school starts on Monday. And hopefully you got a clip and then a year and a half or two years later, you have a video. I don't see that happening as much. Projects have to come out quicker. People are asking for the clip to try to upload it onto Instagram. It's a different dynamic. I feel like kids are more conscious of their image or if a trick that they do is good or if they're skating really well and they want to showcase that. And I, it makes sense because if you if you take a long time and you, you sleep, then you're going to get passed over for the next kid who skates really well. So I get where they're coming from. But in the scene here, I think it's definitely affecting like the quantity of output that is reaching you guys overseas, not overseas, sorry, on a different continent. Because a lot of it's just going straight to the gram or I guess TikTok. I don't know. Y'all on TikTok? <laughs> no. No. I am on TikTok, but I don't I don't watch any skating over there. Nice. Just like fun dance videos, Simpleton. Uh it's like a lot of <laughs> cooking. Oh, okay. It's like cooking and like cute animals and stuff. Oh, well that sounds fun actually. Yeah. I can support that. Instagram junior, basically. So Andrew, you know, you had something you had pointed out earlier was missing the big boy wave, and that's we're talking about pants there. But what else do you think? Well, I guess, no. What are you missing about skating in the States, more specifically skating in Portland? And what don't you miss? Like, what are you just like, what, what has made you breathe a huge sigh of relief every morning when you wake up in Buenos Aires? Oh, that's a good one. Portland is one of my all-time favorite cities to skateboard in. I love Portland. I love all the green. I love the rough ground. I love getting to use soft wheels and that they work at all the spots. So I definitely miss it on a regular basis. I guess what I don't miss in Portland, obviously the rain. That's hard. I could tell you what I don't miss about skating in Arizona. <laughs> There's, yeah, go for yeah, it. Yeah, Arizona, where everything is so far away, urban sprawl. You have to have a car or else you're not getting on the session. It can be really clicky. And I don't think because of the people, I think because of the distances for that reason. Like to go skate a spot, everyone goes in their car and then you're with that group of people. And you don't really mix with the other groups of people. For my Arizona friends, I know that that's changed since I moved, but I don't miss how it was back then, 10 years ago. And I don't miss skating in a city that doesn't have like a downtown urban center with subway and tall buildings and people and movement on the sidewalk. And I, I really like how that feels. As small of a city as Portland is, it has that feeling. Like you can skate downtown and feel like you're in a much bigger city. So very confusing answer sorry i miss i don't miss but there there you have it any food oh yeah for sure mexican food for sure because contrary to popular belief you can't really find good mexican food down here there's no palate for spice in argentina so it's all you know empanadas with a lot of cheese pizza with a even more cheese and pasta anything venezuelan mexican colombian anything with like that those kind of flavors that are really popular in the states you're not going to find down here so i definitely miss that so you're basically telling me that if i pull up with two suitcases just filled with formula fours and a bunch of seasoning and come through and open up like a little you know a little taco stand even though i am not that great of a cook i could do all right i could i could i could, I could find a little lane you could stay at my place. I mean, <laughs> um, no, people have a really sensitive palate, not to not to talk shit or anything like that. But spice is kind of a controversial subject. But yeah, there, I think there's an audience for it. I think because of globalization and different restaurants opening up, you could probably find a lane. Yo, taco truck slash uh, skate bartering uh, shop. Oh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. And then I don't know. I don't eat meat. But if you guys are steak people, I supposedly it's the best steak in the world here. Uh, Kyle Nikoshi, when he came down, was eating steaks every day with a glass of Malbec, and he was having a great time. So I think that's recommended. You just reminded me, I'll probably reach out to you after the show, uh, an old music buddy of mine from New York who's Argentine. He moved back and opened up a vegan re restaurant in Buenos Aires, and apparently it's quite good. Um, so assuming that he's still operating and doing things, uh, I'm going to hit you up with his info. Definitely. Do you know its name? Or 
no and it's like it's really really bugging me shit um okay hit me up afterward because i definitely need that info he, yeah yeah because and he's a he's a super 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 cool dude um uh, one of the best shows i ever played uh was with his band that was called esk uh from new york and he was just just a cool guy like vegan leather motorcycle jacket just like total rock star and just an actual very 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 cool guy kind of piggybacking on an earlier question that templeton had like how difficult is it to do killing floor business with i imagine that most of you are pretty spread out right like there's the core that's in portland or is everybody in portland bar you and a couple other folks no we're spread out i think at one point the majority of us were in portland or vancouver and seattle um which was fairly easy to do trips and film together but now we've got so canada kyle is still in vancouver james is in portland Josh moved like three times. He was in Texas, um, New Mexico, and now he's in Santa Barbara uh, doing his graduate program. Then I'm forgetting. Oh, yeah, we've got Daichi and Hitoshi who are in Japan, Tokyo and Kyushu, so not even close out in Japan. It's tough. It's definitely tough. We we maintain, we do video calls. We have like a group chat, obviously, and we send our clips to each other and try to keep in contact. But it's not your traditional like let's hop in the van and make a video it's a different process there's a lot more long-term long and medium-term thinking in trying to get the logistics together of like who's going to film what who's going to film where how are you going to organize the trips i are you the, you know are you the furthest one out well i think japan's further but yeah yeah as far as the americas go being in south america yeah i know i bet you there's somebody who could try to figure out um Distance-wise and flight-wise, what's the what's the longer flight from Portland? Either is it going to be anywhere on main island of Japan, or is it going to be Buenos Aires? Anyway, the other question is: um, I really like your graphics, but there's two Killing Floor graphics that I actually love more. Uh, one of them was an old Joni Mitchell Blue joint that I have on my dining room wall, which is my favorite Joni Mitchell album. And the other is um, it's a picture of Uroy smoking a chalice. Mm-hmm. And I gave that to one of my best friends. Can you give us some insight into just like what the design, well, I guess like basically what the design process is at Killing Floor? Because I really like your graphics and I'm going to assume that Templeton, Maddie, uh, you, I'm sure you all two rock with at least some of their stuff. Oh, for sure. I actually had this almost exact same question in my notes too. I think whenever I hear of the Killing Floor, it's normally in the same sentence as they have the coolest graphics. Um, and I know, Andrew, you do art. I saw that. I saw your recent collage. That was very cool. Are you involved in the graphics process um, at all or have some insight of kind of where that's coming from and how it comes together? Thank you. Thanks. No, John is an incredible artist, not just doing collages and, and designing the skateboards, but also he's a fine artist. He's an amazing painter. So I think that's something I've been hearing a long time, like for a long time. When you hear The Killing Floor, you think of the best graphics and so on. So my part has always been, okay, well, I want to get the videos and the skateboarding up to par with that reputation and definitely taking a lot of inspiration from his design aesthetic when I'm editing or shooting the Super 8 or find, like we talk about the music a lot, John and I and the rest of the team, especially James Alby on this last video, he was in there like music supervision, sending me a lot of recommendations. So it's definitely a concerted effort to keep what the killing floor is, the idea of the brand, how it looks and feels, very streamlined. Um, which I'm not sure how to describe that. I'm not sure what that means, but we definitely try to feed off of each other. Uh, as far as graphic goes, I'm not involved with the graphics on the boards, but I definitely, I, I think that it's cohesive with the videos. I try to go for that. Yeah. That's what made me think of of you as a representative of the brand was like the animation and the b-roll that you shot in this last video was so aligned with what the graphics are that I just made the leap that you could even be involved in that so I would say success on merging those two different mediums together and making it feel like it's coming from the same place so that's very cool cool thank you yeah that was pretty much what I was going to say because yeah it's not like it's a a one-to-one you know like the graphics are all torn paper or something yeah, like the videos feel in line with what the killing floor is. Well, um, actually going on that point, sorry to cut you no off. Bad. <laughs> but when I started editing Aquarius, the last video that we made, I did a bunch because I do collage art too. I had done a bunch of collages and I was doing stop motion animation for the titles and I presented it to John and I was like, yo, let's, it looks like the boards. Let's do this for the video. And he said, it's way on the nose. Like this looks sick, but I think there needs to be 
cohesion, but not a direct, like the skateboard graphics shouldn't look like the video animation exactly. And so I, I, I agree with him long term. The animations I did for this past video have n nothing to do with the boards, but we agreed that they, they sort of felt like they came from the same place, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, like it feels like your studio mates or something. Yeah, yeah. So I think John and I have definitely, I mean, we've been working together doing the videos um, and then just me being a skater on the company for almost seven years now. And that's definitely developed into a really good um, communication when we're working on projects. Right. Well, let's uh, let's get into some of the tricks. I feel like there's there's a few tricks in here that need further examination. One of the things are, I guess, two tricks uh, at Magic Five. You kind, I feel like you kind of found new ways to skate Magic Five, and maybe that's because you weren't there every single day for a year when Magic Five was super popping. But like, whose idea was it to prop the grate and like ollie over the the railing at Magic Five? Because that, that's like something I. You know, I've been there a million times and never thought to do that. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, we talked about this before, before the podcast, but I always wanted to skate Magic 5 in the years that I lived in Portland. I thought it was the most beautiful spot. And in that time period, you couldn't skate it. We'd go late at night and try to get a quick hit, maybe 10, 15 minutes, but sessions weren't happening. So I never really had time to like be comfortable at that spot. And then I came back last year and they're like yeah warm-up spot magic five let's go play games of skate at magic five and i was just blown away so i wanted to i was annoying all my friends in portland because i wanted to go there every single day it's like i want to get my time back at this incredible spot we had just been skating there all day filmed the other two or three lines that i do and we're just kind of messing around with stuff and i saw that ollie i think i saw the possibility of propping up the grate and then somebody else, probably Noah or James had the tool and we cranked it open and saw that it was there. And it was super scary, but I was like, well, I'm leaving in about a week. This, <laughs> I'm not coming back here. So either I try to ollie this thing or I have to send the idea to somebody else and they have to ollie it. And it's gonna hurt my heart every time I see the clip. So I went for it and luckily it worked out. Yeah, it was super sick. Definitely like caught my eye. And Andrew, it was you who uh, boost that ollie over the glass fence, correct? Yeah, that's the ollie that we're talking about. It's like going out of Magic 5. Like, okay. uh, that's, I think that's why people haven't seen it, because there's so many ledges and stairs on the inside of the spot. And in that ollie, you're just leaving the spot, like going down the street. Yeah, that was cool as shit. I'll save my questions about music for a second later. Please continue. Okay. Okay, other spot? I forgot the question. Oh, yeah, like you had found another line at Magic 5 where you hit the 5 and then... You go off to that that set to the side. It's like six or seven stairs or something. And that that's another one where like I don't think I've ever seen anybody skate it like that. Yeah, I think I think Bledsoe maybe did not the same line, but something very similar. Because in his Magic Five part, he used that that bigger set that's going on to the public sidewalk. He did mm -hmm. a couple tricks on that. So I think it was probably inspired by that. And Seth, who I was filming with, like, hey, you're curving front side, just jump down the stair like that. Nice. Yeah, it was sick. Thanks. And uh, I think it's Josh Love's part, and he does a backside kickflip into actually just does a kickflip facing backside into a ditch. Where is that? And then also, uh, there's kind of like a wallows looking spot, ditch spot in Buenos Aires. Tell us about those two spots. Yeah. Uh, the the only thing I know about the Josh Love kickflip is that it was sick, and it's called Josh Love Kickflip dot MP4. But <laughs> I I think it was filmed in New Mexico while he was studying out there. That's my best guess. And those that middle section were the tricks that they were just sent in in between our two trips, Portland and Buenos Aires. So I don't have much to say about those. Um, the wallow spot. Are you talking about the one where I do a back tail shove it? Mm hmm. Yeah, that one is very far. It's almost like leaving the metropolitan uh, Buenos Aires area. A friend of mine lives close and he got a word hey, the kids from this one neighborhood are digging up this old spot that they used to skate in the 90s. And so we went out one day with some shovels and we kind of like helped up with the cleanup and incredible. It's so, so sick. It's like an Arizona ditch, but with new ground almost because it's been covered for so long. And if I remember correctly, I think it's at an old water filtration sort of setup, almost on a farmland area. But yeah, that's, yeah. So they dug up they, they, they dug up that ditch. So it was this was a forgotten spot. Totally. Yeah, it was a forgotten spot. I, I don't even think there's old clips, but 
some older skaters have said, yeah, we used to go out there and skate that. It is hard to skate, so I get why there's not a lot of footage on it. But just to go and pump around and do some frontside ollies, it's is very similar to Wallows. Skated that too, and there was a good comparison you made. God, that's amazing. I think the only equivalent you'd have out here in LA would be if they were able to dig up the the sand the the, the gap with the sand um the the sand pit, or, excuse me, at um at Venice Beach that are next to the now infamous Venice skate park. And I think that would be amazing. But Red Bull, I think, offered to do it. They were gonna pay they they were ready to cut the check. City of LA said nope. Is that down there still? They didn't demolish yeah, it? They didn't demolish no. it. Pe- people still tag it. Like uh, People still do graffiti on it. Actually, a friend of mine had a piece up there. It's kind of like a, it's a legit graffiti spot that's next to the Venice Park. So if you got on an excavator and got a, a crew out there, you could excavate the spot. Um, Whoa. Yeah. That's crazy. I didn't know that. Yeah. But I think the, the issue was um, there were some concerns that people were going to be over there whiling on the late night tip. And... Venice may be filled with million-dollar condos now, but it's still a wild place after dark, and it's certainly on certain blocks. So I think that was the city council's logic for turning down that offer, but I digress. That would be like South Bank in L.A. It would be amazing. That would be It would be so cool if they could do something like that, but... Um... Yeah, it's frustrating. Like even like watching the footage to, uh, today, like of just like the last stuff from Muni, and be like, shit, that's gone too. I mean, do you, do you feel like um, in Argentina, like in Buenos Aires specifically, that you're kind of enjoying like these spots aren't really blown out yet to people who are outside of the country, and that I won't have to be saying the same kind of goodbyes that a lot of us here in the states are having to do for some of the places that we grew up seeing. Like for you, there's like a sense of would you? Am I assuming correctly that there's like a sense of novelty and maybe you can be a little bit relaxed with some of this stuff i don't see any of the main staple spots going anywhere because of the buildings that they're in front of but it could happen and i would be sad like if the aduana the bank spot disappeared or if they skate stopped it i would definitely be a bit heartbroken um, and maybe have a similar feeling because that's a place where we've spent a lot of afternoons many hours just skating not even filming so it, it kind of, even though it's just a sidewalk that goes down a, a stretch of maybe two kilometer block, it feels like a plaza in a sense. But yeah, maybe I don't, I don't see the government attacking skate spots in the same way that I kind of see from afar that it's going down in the United States with Muni and uh, Pulaski. I hope that doesn't go down, Maddie. But yeah, I also hope that, um, that we have it for as long as possible and that is definitely happening a little bit here in D.C. with the last few years of them capping more of the iconic spots that have been skatable for so long that it unfortunately maybe feels inevitable at some points. Yeah. Um, but, but one trick I kind of wanted to call out, which is maybe a little random, but it kind of just hit me in a, in a really cool way, was your really, really tall mani pad nose wheelie that you kind of hit the little curb bump up to. And it was such a simple trick, but it was just... A, done so well, and B, on the most ludicrous mani pad that I've ever seen, like, that was so tall. Was that something that, like, you saw the spot and you were like, ooh, I want to skate it just because the spot looks cool? Or, like, how did you kind of go about that? I feel like you don't see too many just simple nose man parts. It's If you see a mani trick, it's going to flip in or something tech. But the way you approached that was really nice. So I kind of just wanted to hear what your what your thought was and kind of how you stumbled upon that that trick at that spot. Thank you. Thank you. That was a hard one. That was, I suffered a lot compared to the other tricks in the video for that nose, Manny. So James took me there. James Albee, we were skating around, went to some slappies and he's like, I got a spot for you. Brought me there. And at first it didn't really make sense, but I remembered that I had seen Preston Harper do a manual on it in a, a part he had a few years back. So I was like, well, if you can get up there with an ollie and I ollied it, and then I started trying to do 180 to switch Manny for a long time, and that didn't work out. And right when I was like, you know, running out of steam, I threw out some nose Mannies and got really close at the beginning, and then spent probably another hour and a half uh, suffering at that spot. Like the bloody hand Super 8 clip that opens up the video, that's from that right after landing the nose manual. Yeah, I could kind of, like... It was done so well, but I could almost feel like there was this energy to it that I was like, oh, this was like not a battle, but I guess it, it was a battle. I didn't anticipate, like uh, interpret it in that way, but it just felt like it was such an important clip in your part. And it's nice to hear that, that was, there was such an experience with it because I feel like it was um, 
definitely the clip from the whole video that really stood out. So, so thanks for sharing that. That's a, that's a cool story and awesome clip and congrats for getting it. Cool. Thank you. I like that James showed me the, the spot. I think that happens a lot in this video. When the guys came out, I already had spots thought out for each person. And when I went out there, they were thinking about me. And I think that's something that kind of really defines the video. And you can see it like people are in their element on spots that work for them. Not that we don't find our own spots, but it's nice to hook your homies up with spots too. Yeah. And I think yeah. there's also something nice about like when you think of a trick you're going to do at a spot, sometimes it's like almost counterproductive because like you play through the whole event. At least I do like, oh, I want to do this trick at this spot, but it's going to take all of these things. Whereas when you kind of just your friend shows you a thing like, oh, I think you could do this. You don't think about it in that same capacity and you kind of just let things organically happen. And that's what it sounds like happened when you switched from the 180 switch Manny to the nose Manny that it was just like, oh, like this is just kind of working and this is kind of how it's going to go. And I think there's something really, really nice to that. And it kind of shows through in, in the footage. Yeah, definitely. Sometimes someone tells you, hey, I found the spot for you. You should do this trick on it. Not in a Jamie Thomas kind of way. Shout outs, <laughs> to the, shout outs to the chief. But it's kind of like, oh, I don't think I could do that. But if you see it, I guess I'll give it a shot. And then it ends up working out. Shout out to the homies for looking out for you and looking out for each other. I mean... It just, just looking from the footage at the end of the video in the montages, it looks like so much fun. And was it one trip or was it several trips? It was two, it was two trips. It was my solo trip to Portland. And then it was their group trip out to Buenos Aires. So we connected the dots. Sick. Hope y'all are using them miles. <laughs> oh man, I wish someone hooked me up with a plan or something. <laughs> it's expensive. That's the one downside about Argentina. It's expensive to travel here. It's very far. I know that's right. Yeah. Well, if you if you pack up those Formula Fours, it'll it'll all be worth it. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I think we'd all be stoked to visit you, Andrew, and uh, I'll be stoked for you to visit uh, Oregon again, Andrew, and maybe this time we can actually link up. That brings us to the end of our show, where we talk about what we're stoked on. Andrew, what are you stoked on this week? I am stoked on a film that my aunt Patricia Ortega released. She's a filmmaker, director. And uh, if you're in Spain, go check out this movie called Mama Cruz. It's a hilarious drama about an elderly woman who discovers sex toys and like a sex therapy group for the first time in her life. And it's also pretty like a, a deep movie about Catholicism and lots of really cool themes. So shout outs to my aunt. Very talented. Stoked on her. Nice. Uh, Maddie, what are you stoked on this week? I am stoked on finishing up a really long work week. I am actually doing the podcast from Connecticut. I'm up here for a, a photo shoot and um, get to head home tomorrow. So I've been out of town for five days. So very excited to be back home. And in that same vein, I am actually stoked on something work-related. This week, we kind of did a new approach and mixed some continuous lights with strobes. So for you photo folks who know what I'm talking about, it was just a nice mix of um, being able to take two different sources and kind of bring them together and create new textures through that and just a nice experience to kind of mix up the monotony of working in, in commercials. And the last thing I'm stoked on is Monica Torres's Jenkum video. I think she's super, super, super ill and one of my favorite skaters. And it was fun to see her in a more rounded out light. I've seen a lot of her footage, but hadn't really seen any videos of her like just being her. And it was really, really cool to see. So if you haven't checked that out, definitely do. Uh, she Patrick, rips. Yeah, she's cool. so she's so good. Patrick, what are you stoked on this week? I'm actually also very stoked on that Monica Torres clip or rather that interview because I've seen some snakes in Griffith Park and it's terrifying, but they're there. Obviously, I'm very stoked on Spitfire Wheels. I'm even more stoked to find out that they are as valuable as currency down in Argentina way. So I'm going to have to take a trip. This has been a hammer week for me. I'm going to big up myself because on Sunday, I played my first show in three years, got to reunite with members of uh, my old band, Rara Rasputin, as, as well as another band called the State Department. We'll provide links in the show notes. Uh, that was so much fun. We filmed the music video all day, and then we played a show that night. I've never been more tired, but, but also been never been more ecstatic. I haven't been that excited about music in a long time. Later in the week, got to skate at Baker Boys Distribution, thanks to uh, my homeboy Jamie winning a competition that was hosted by CSEF to win a session skating with Andrew Reynolds, who got to meet him and immediately start nerding out about insoles and about sneakers. Um, he is the man. He's also very tall and insanely natural on a skateboard. 
And yes, the madness does extend to board setups. He was going through, checking everything, tightening things. It was so much fun. And it was obviously great to see Jamie and Derek, uh, both of whom I've hung out with. We hung out extensively at Slow Impact. And finally, for the ender, actually, no, this is the after black ender in the Hammer Tour that is this week. My wife and I closed on a house. We got the keys yesterday. So now we are homeowners. <laughs> and... Oh my God, the shit Damn. is so expensive. But you know what? It's it's. I, I've decided to extend my West Coast contract, and uh, I'm I'm very stoked, and we're looking forward to having people. Templeton, what you stoked on this? I'm super stoked for you buying a house, man. Congratulations, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, for me, I'm I'm stoked on meandering. I was listening to Ryan Lay on the Beyond Boards podcast, and he said that the best way to film a video part is by meandering, uh, which. I really liked that word and that idea, and it just kind of made me realize that I need to do more meandering in my life and kind of uh, go with the flow more and ditch the schedules and responsibilities and stuff. So I'm stoked on an idea, I guess. That's it for our show this week. Be sure to check out mostlyscapeboarding.net for links to the things that we talked about and other show notes. Until next time, you can keep up with us all week online. Andrew, where can the people find you? On Instagram at PP spots, P-I-P-I underscore spots. And I think that's it. Oh, The Killing Floor on YouTube, The Killing Floor Skateboards. You can see our videos. Nice. Patrick, where can the people find you? You can find me on Twitter under the handle at Colonel K Speaks. You can also find me on Instagram at Pikagongo. I'm also on Blue Sky as well as Threads. I have no idea what my handles are on there. Oh, actually, no, it's just Pikagongo. And uh, also doing stuff with the Harold Hunter Foundation. We've got some cool stuff lined up for the new year. Maddie, where can the people find you on Bobby Digital's internet? Uh, they can find me uh, at Front Grinds on Instagram. Templeton, where can the people find you? You can find me on Instagram at Mostly Skateboarding and on Twitter at Mostly Skate. We will see you guys next week. Later. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> nice.